0: بسم Rahman الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet. Peace be upon him. Alrighty, <coughs> so, so we went through four attributes of the people of Nifaq, the hypocrites. One was that they lie. second one is that they deflect criticism. A third one is that they're arrogant and or devaluing the community. Both were saying the same thing. And number four is that they are two-faced. They're inconsistent in terms of how they conduct themselves in different crowds to the point that they're deceptive. So now let's look at IS 16, which provides a summary of these people. So IS 16... Screen share, yeah. So <clears throat> they are the ones who purchase error at the price of guidance. And the result is that their profit uh, doesn't really uh, or their their trade does not their trade does not profit, and they're also not guided. So so what are we saying here? A couple of things. One is that One of the whole essences of life itself is the choices we make. Right, so even when we were having our discussion on free will and predestination, uh, I kept emphasizing that if the only thing you get out of this is that you have free will, meaning you have the ability to make choice and thus as a consequence, there are consequences to your choices, then that's all you need to know. Everything else uh, is regarding predestination and such. Fits around the central point that you have choices uh, to to make. And so sometimes, so most choices are mundane, right? Meaning, do I wake up now or do I wake up in five minutes? Uh, Some choices are big in the sense that, all right, do I go in this career or do I go for that career? And then some choices <clears throat> will be related to matters of right and wrong. I keep spelling W incorrectly. Oh, okay, so matters of, of right and wrong. And, and why do we find ourselves in that type of situation? when we have to choose between right and wrong, because often the wrong path seems to be a lot more beneficial. And so think of it in the context of lying. Why would I lie? Because I'm thinking I'm gonna be able to avoid some trouble or I'm going to secure some, some big benefit. So sometimes it's a matter of right and wrong because of what wrong is offering. So sometimes wrong is offering some sort of significant profit. So, that is often what is being the case and sometimes it might just be a matter of compulsion. I'm stuck in a situation and somebody is forcing me to, to choose wrong. So, <clears throat> the one we're addressing here is when temptation is leading me to choose wrong because of the benefit. And the ayah is promising two things. Well, it's a straight line, mashallah, okay. One is that the profit, the net profit is going to be zero. So suppose I lie on my resume and I get a higher paying job. And uh, and so now I have more money, more income. The net profit will still be zero. And zero doesn't necessarily mean exactly zero. It's, it's qualitatively zero. And how can that play out? Perhaps my expenses are gonna go up as well. Okay. Or and an individual expense might go up that essentially cancels out with the gain that I've made. And the second problem is because I've made a choice of wrong, I'm also losing out on guidance. So let's talk about this, this point about guidance and choices. So here we have the heart, as uh, y'all should be really impressed that my heart drawings are getting better and better. Okay, so what do we have in the heart? We have your irada word in Arabic as well as uh, English, irada is your yearning. And that motivates your intentions. And then your intentions form your actions. And then what happens is that your good intentions, what's a good color for good? Uh, let's do blue. Let's do uh, light blue. Good, just like the sky. Okay, so your good intentions will affect your heart. Your good actions will especially affect your heart. Likewise, what's a good color for bad? Of course, the devil. Okay, so your bad intentions will also affect your heart and your bad actions will definitely affect your heart. And so what happens every time I do something wrong, the language uh, attributed to the prophet, peace be upon him, is that a dark spot goes on my heart. Now, what happens with that dark spot? Imagine you are looking at the world through, through glasses, and now you have a small smudge on your glasses. And then I do something wrong again, I'm adding another dark spot. I've added another smudge, which means what? I'm not seeing things as clearly. So if I have enough darkness on my heart, my morality is going to start getting skewed. It's gonna start getting confused when I'm making choices. And I can reach a point where my entire heart is covered in black. Now, when I do something good, I'm polishing my heart. And good here would be acts of obedience to Allah. If I'm doing good actions, then it's polishing. So we're even prescribed every time I do something bad, I should follow it up with something good. For a couple of reasons: one, to cancel out the bad that I've done, potentially inshallah. Also, to prevent me from doing more bad. Just like we gave the example that if I tell a lie, to sustain my lie, I'm probably going to have to tell other lies too. And so, so the point is that my intentions affect my heart, but especially my actions. And in fact, to really make this point, let's make this nice and dramatic. Uh, it's like this. So my intentions will affect my heart. My, my actions will especially affect my heart. What are the easiest actions to control? Uh, that would be my tongue. And it's fascinating that <clears throat> the amount of effort it takes to do an action does not match up with the impact that the action has on myself. And the, the amount of effort it takes to do an action, it does not match up It's not proportional to how weighty the action is in terms of my accounting of the day of judgment. Meaning what? That some of the worst actions are actions of the tongue. So lying is a very bad action. If you accuse a chaste woman of being unchaste, that is literally among the worst things you can do. And it takes just one second to make that statement. And so my undergrads have heard from me many times that if you cannot control your tongue, you can't control anything. Tongue is the easiest thing to control. So if we look at that in the context of hypocrites, uh, why is it that a hypocrite might choose wrong? Uh, Very often it's because of already being in the habit of doing wrong. That the distinction between wrong and right doesn't seem to be as serious. And the promise again is that the profit will be zero and in the process, you're also losing out on on guidance. Let's take this a step further, just to speak about the dimensions within ourselves where these things are taking place. So the heart is, of course, the realm of the heart. Nia is in the realm of the mind. and Amal is the realm of the body. Of course, I probably should have drawn a mind and I probably should have drawn a body, but this drawing looks cooler. As my daughter's in the class, um, the other class that she's in with my nieces and some nephews, they rip on my drawing ability. So sometimes I draw the heart as a diamond. Anyway, that's beside the point. So, So your yearning is in the heart your, your intentions are in the mind. There's some things you're actually processing the action would be like what you're doing. Now let's line up things even more. So yesterday I introduced Islam, Iman, Ihsan. And all of this is part of the journey of someone seeking to get closer to a law. And then we said, I can also go in the opposite direction. And we haven't defined this last term. That will be not for another, um, about 10 IS. Okay, and so Islam is the realm of the body. Iman, in this context, is the realm of the mind. Ihsan, in this context, is the realm of the heart. Now, I have to caution uh, uh, you regarding a lot of these drawings that I'm making because the same terms will have different meaning. So for example, When we look at iman only and speak of it as a sense of security, then that's in the heart. When we speak of iman in the context of Islam and iman and ihsan, then it's in the realm of the mind. Now, what are we saying here? That in the process of me straightening myself out Often the process is the reverse of what we might think. In the sense that often my first focus is to make sure my actions are in the realm of the halal, that I'm removing haram actions, that I'm removing forbidden actions from my actions. And so that does make an assumption about intention. The intention there would be that I straighten myself out. And the yearning is that I become more pleasing to Allah. So there is some heart there, there is some uh, uh, mind there, but the big focus is action. And as I get my actions more in line with the prescriptions of Allah, then I'm giving more focus on the details of my intentions. And as I get that more straightened out, then I have more space to focus on the condition of my heart. So let's add even more to this. So here we have your heart. And we said yearning is located in the heart. the central yearning everyone has is to get closer to Allah. You can define that as to get closer to Allah or to return to Allah, essentially the same point. So in some ways you can sum up uh, much of Rumi's teachings as that simple point, right? He starts to with the story of the reed that wants to get back to the reed bed. Okay. And in Qur'anic language, what is that? Inna lillahi wa inna ilaihi We are from Allah and to Him is return. Now, what happens is that if... Uh, okay, so, so this yearning is unmet. And so I have this uneasiness in myself that I'm going to misdiagnose. And instead of thinking it's a yearning to get closer to Allah, meaning instead of thinking my satisfaction of this uneasiness will come by getting closer to Allah, I might do something else like eat a sandwich, or I might buy something, or I might wanna spend time with someone. And so what we start creating, are compensations for the unmet yearning. Okay. And so let's, let's say I get in the habit of when I have this unease, I just start eating and then that unease seems to go away, at least temporarily. Or the next person, they start shopping. And then they get the dopamine fix, and that unease goes away. But it doesn't completely go away. And so what may happen is that then I start increasing And so that becomes another type of compensation. So it's a compensation of compensation. Okay. Or there might be other types of stimuli. So for example, I'm growing up in a society as a minority on various categories of my identity, right? Race, uh, religion, whatever else, and and so as I'm growing up in society, I might feel the need to overcompensate for each of those different aspects of my identity that are not fulfilling the alpha male, white, Christian, Protestant male, white, Christian, Protestant, hetero male. And so then that complicates things even more So then I have this, I confuse my yearning to get closer to Allah with a yearning for validation. In fact, let's make this a different color just to help make the point. And likewise, let's say whatever I'm doing to overcompensate, maybe it's in my clothing, maybe it's in the language that I use, maybe it's the people that I befriend, that's not making me feel like I've been accepted. And so same thing, I might start increasing. And what is the end result of all this? So we'll call one one blue line, uh, other compensation. and then other compensation of compensation. And so I'm creating walls around my heart. So, so some relate to your question. It could be a false self or non genuine self. I think that does fit into what we're talking about here. And so let's add just to to make this even more fun. Uh, Let's say I have some traumatic experience. Anything from the death of a loved one to, to abuse by someone. And so there I have other, other compensation. And likewise, this innate unease is not being fulfilled. And so likewise, we have, we're gonna call it O, O, other, other compensation of compensation. And so over the course of my lifetime, I'm adding more and more walls to my heart when my innate yearning is to get closer to Allah, which means what the innate satisfaction to this innate yearning is how to get closer to Allah with increased obedience to Allah. Obedience is a big heavier word, but essentially what I'm saying, taking the prescriptions that Allah is giving me to get closer. And so to make this drawing from another perspective, here's me and here is Allah in terms of my heart and over the course of my life, I'm adding walls between me and Allah. And thus it's making me harder and harder to get closer to Allah. So the goal of purification of the heart, the goal is essentially, whoops, The goal is essentially to remove these walls, even that wall. That's the goal. And so when we're speaking of, of an essence being a choice, a lot of times these are choices that we're making for ourselves as means, as ways to cope with life. So, to make this whole point of this whole, uh, 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 from to, to, to illustrate this from another perspective, think of the influences you have on your life. So, anyone, name uh, any big or small influences a person has on their lives. And feel free to either type or speak.
1: Oh, family.
0: So family, we're going to include family in what we call, your, in our language, your inner circle. And Suheila, I'm going to include close friends in there. So, so in the language of the Quran, your qurba people who are near you. Uh, um, ideas. So ideas, take it further. Because I think in, in a given hour... A person might have 200 ideas going through their head. Ideology, I I suppose. So I'm going to put that in the context of society with emphasis on its categories and ideals. What else? What else influences you?
1: Your personality.
0: So, I'm going to make that part of your choices. Our nature. So, very good. One topic we haven't talked about yet, which we're going to get to around Io 27, is your fitzra. And your fitzra is your innate, pure nature. That you're innately innocent, you're innately good, you're innately sin-free, and you also have an innate connection to Allah. And then we haven't talked about them yet. Angels and the devil and the devil's minions. I don't mean yellow guys with one eyes. I'm talking about basically uh, jinns that are also working for the devil, Hizbush Shaitan. Good, and, and so to list this out from another perspective, these are elements in the self, elements in your environment, and then elements in the unseen. So what we're saying is that over the course of my life, all these things are influencing me, okay. influencing uh, you know, whatever it is happens in, to me or how I regard things. First question, Uh, Of these things, what do I have the most control over? Choices? Yeah, essentially it's my choices. My fitra is part of my design. This is outside of my choice. My inner circle when I'm young is outside of my choice. As I get older... I might choose who's part of my inner circle. Just like when you're a parent and you're, you're baby from age one to like four, you have almost 100% authority. You still have, you know, every single relative who, who's going to be part of the story. You might have other kids that are part of the play. And then your kid starts going to school. And then steadily, your authority starts getting, uh, other sources start getting caught up. Uh, to, to your authority and such. Your influence on your child is going to be lifelong, uh, for better or worse, but there will also be these other influences as well. But as I get older, I can choose who's in my inner circle, and then those people are still affecting me. Good. And so we have the metaphor uh, in, in the Hadith literature of, of the perfume seller and the blacksmith. And so the influence that you have over the people in your inner circle and that they have over you is like the metaphor of the perfume seller, or the blacksmith. If you spend time with a perfume seller, what's gonna to happen to you? Anyone? You're gonna start going to smelling good. To... Yeah, yeah. you're gonna start smelling good, correct. And, and this is, uh, metaphor is also taking a step further that if you have a good friend who's selling perfume and you're buying perfume, they'll probably give you extra. You know, in their generosity. And then what's going to happen if you spend time with a blacksmith? You're going to stink and you're going to be covered in soot. This is the influence you have over the people in your inner circle. This is the influence they have over you. And then society. So think about categories in our society. Race is a category in our society. Gender comes with ideals in our society. So in my undergrad classes, this would be the point, and some of my undergrads have taken, have done this exercise with me, uh, where we go through and identify: okay, what does our society say, our ide- ideal qualities of, of uh, regarding gender and such? And then we have other, we have other categories. You know, socioeconomics; those are categories in our society, and then they then start influencing our sense of self which then influence our choices. Okay. Now, how do angels and the devil and the accursed devil and his minions affect us? So the devil has essentially one key tool, which is essentially to whisper into your heart to try to dazzle you, okay? So whatever you're already tempted to do, the devils are trying to get you to act upon that, okay. Angels uh, have a, have a couple of roles. So we know about you know all kinds of different ways angels are, are are present in the unseen, including angels that each of us have to record everything that we do. But when you do something upright, then angels also come to reinforce you. Like usually in Sunday school, we only talk about what the devil does. We don't talk about what angels do. So if I am being upright. In my speech and my conduct, then angels, almost like a phenomenon, will come to reinforce me. And so so that's the first question. What do I control here? I control my choices. Uh, How do I respond to the devil? The angels are there to help me in terms of my choices. Uh, Where is Allah here in terms of my interaction with Allah? At the top. So, definitely at the top. Anywhere else? Now, what do you mean at the top? You mean fitrah or you mean above fitra? I don't know who said that name. Uh, Both. You... OK. I mean, area? wouldn't you just be un- like under all of them? So essentially, among the ways Allah is interacting with me is one by way of my fitrah. Uh, by all those things that are not in my control. Let's make this more neat. Okay, I'm feeling that miserably. Hold on. Yeah, this is way more complicated than I needed to be. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just draw. Okay. So we have Allah Ta'ala is affecting me through my fitrah. Allah Ta'ala is affecting me through my inner circle, through the society that I'm in, by sending angels. And I'm also saying this. The reason I'm making it a dotted line is more out of manners in which we speak with Allah, speak about Allah right? We only assign good to Allah. So at best we'd say he allows the devil to do so. At one level we're saying he controls everything so therefore he controls that but out of manners you know we'd only be speaking of the positive. So the point is that uh, we discussed this before even in speaking about you know am I allowed to ask others for, for help and we said that okay these different methods of help are things that Allah t'ala is helping me through and likewise here. And so the key again are my choices. Those would be the keys. And so the essence of the people of Taqwa is that they have this thorough trust in Allah with this ambition of getting closer to Allah, whereas the people of hypocrisy have distrust in Allah. And they are, so the person of Taqwa is going to choose right, knowing that in the short term, right is going to be more difficult, long term, right is going to be better. The person of hypocrisy is choosing wrong. Uh, because in the short term, it'll be easier. And who cares about the long term? Okay, so so we're, we're getting close to nearly about halfway through the course. And so now we're, we're getting into getting, putting together a lot of these different drawings and models that we've had from uh, the past. And so you see how this is lining up with what we have here. Okay. And <clears throat> generally speaking, this is the realm of Islamic law, this is the realm of theology, and this is the realm of the way the Sufis, generally speaking. Again, the common prescription is you start first by purifying the body. And what does it mean to purify the body? You're removing filth from your actions. And then from there, you are straightening out your thinking, your priorities. And once everything on the outside is purified, then you're especially focusing on the condition of the heart. This is the common general prescription for this path. Now, it's not as simple, it's not as linear as going from Islam to Iman to Ihsan. Think of these as like overlapping phases. All righty, we'll stop right here. Any questions about uh, anything at all? Hey Santiago, are you here? We need you for the first uh, for, for the first question. Nobody has any questions. Summer, yeah, your have a question.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't know if it's directly related, but I have a nephew who struggles with certain issues and he asks questions. It's something that is kind of hard for me to formulate or pinpoint. But one of the things he talks about is when somebody does something really bad or oppressive or unjust, when they, like he has this feeling or impulse wanting them to get their consequence now to make sure and to know that it's wrong. I'm just thinking like, where is that area? Like, where would you pinpoint like a person struggling with that?
0: so it, it seems to me a couple possible things uh one it could be an impatience for justice uh this you said this is your nephew yeah okay i mean all the parts the parts are, uh, uh, does he have a, an anger issue
1: uh had
0: had interesting okay uh, cuz anger is often the same thing right it's an impatience for justice you know and so so it could be there um and related to to patients uh it could also be a question of how confident or unconfident am i that this person is going to face a law for justice Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right that would be more in the realm of the mind
1: thank you that's
0: helpful any other questions about anything at all uh, Omar, I have a question. I haven't really formulated it very articulately, but I'm thinking: um, any yearning that we have, right, is that, or any kind of suffering that we might experience, is that a manifestation of that primordial yearning for God? Uh, I would say uh, yearnings that we have uh, are would be compensations for not fulfilling the primordial yearning for God.
1: Okay.
0: okay, so any kind of addiction that you know, people might experience, whether it's towards food or shopping or, or you know, those things that you listed earlier, they're actually trying to address that primal. Um, yeah, in, like a way, a way uh, uh, to think about this is that a lot of times in our culture, we speak of, of marijuana as being the gateway drug, right, to other things. Uh, but rather, what we're saying is that the gateway drug would be this innate unease. And okay. in, th- in this framework, we're saying the innate unease is this feeling of distance from Allah. Ah. Right. Make sense?
1: Right. So then any kind of unease is at its core
0: that. That's the core. Okay. Unease. yeah. But I may not know how to diagnose it, right? I might right. just think that, okay, I'm lonely. Right,
1: exactly. You
0: know? And so, even like with food, there's the food we eat out of hunger. You know, the hunger of the stomach, and then there's the food we eat out of the hunger of the eyes, which is very, very different, right? right. And I mean, one drawing that I was going to say for later, but we can we can at least give part of it now to help out. Uh, speaking more about these yearnings, which I don't think we've done in this class yet, uh, is uh, we have. Body, mind, heart. And so each one of these regions is a type of intellect. And each one has its innate desire or yearning. And then each one of these uh, has its primary satisfaction. So the body is what we call your sensory or sensual intellect, and its innate desire is contact so so think of the pleasure the innate pleasure that someone feels just from a hug, especially while we're in quarantine mm-hmm. yeah. And then the innate. Uh, uh, And so the mind would be your rational intellect. Your heart would be your intuitive intellect. So for example, if we were to ask, why does uh, a mother love her child? It's beyond rational, just do. We can give explanations like this baby was part of me you know, for for its entire existence through birth. Uh, We can say something about an evolutionary instinct and such. And there might be truth to all those things, but the, the real reason is that it's beyond rational. That is also how our relationship with Allah takes place, right? It's at the intuitive level. And then, so what is the innate desire? It's a desire for knowledge. And the innate desire of the heart is intimacy. Closeness, a, a, a connection that others do not have access to. And so what is the true satisfaction? Is intimacy with Allah. Mm. Knowledge of Allah, or knowledge that will help me get closer to Allah. And then contact with Allah. Mm. Except this contact with Allah doesn't happen on this side. At best, you can have contact with the creations of Allah. And so that happens on the other side. And that is the most pleasurable thing a human can experience in that side or this side. Like to be able to even see Allah with our own eyes. Then, in the context of the human soul, so we don't know very much about the soul, but there is a sentiment that this is where happiness of the soul takes place. Like a visceral happiness. And so so the point is that even when we speak of sicknesses like depression, in this paradigm, first question would be to try to figure out where is it? Is it in the body? Is it physiological? And then the treatment would be physiology. Diet, sleep, you know, other things that are consumed. Is it in the mind? Then it is a question of knowledge. Is it in the heart? Usually it's going to be spanning across all three. And so if my innate yearning is, is intimacy with Allah, knowledge of Allah, contact with Allah, and I am not fulfilling that, then I have this unease, but if I don't know, that's the cause of the unease, and I'm going to try to fulfill it. You know, I'm to, I'm going to try to self-medicate with other behaviors. Make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Absolutely sure. Any other questions? Summer, you look like you're about to ask a question. Okay. Anyone else? So this is when we speak of Ramadan as the month of Taqwa. What is Taqwa? Taqwa is basically keeping yourself on guard. And so some of you have heard the story from me. I had a student (coughs) some years ago who refused to believe that anything could be forbidden. Okay, So one of the common ideas in our society today is about personal authenticity that you have to figure out who you are and be that person in terms of all your different identities and such. And so this guy used to literally live it, that uh, uh, he, you know, if you felt from within compelled to drink alcohol, do it. If you felt from, from within compelled to engage in such and such relationships, do it. That's part of your authenticity. That's the authentic life. And so as I'm having this conversation with him, I asked him, when's the last time you were happy? And he had trouble remembering. Except he realized he loved Ramadan. Okay. Now, now put all of this together. Now, to give you an idea of how of what this guy, his his life was literally from a common perspective upside down, sleep all day long, awake all night, indulging in whatever his his appetites would call him to, like everything, because that's what he felt was authentic, and he admired people who 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 did that. But what was Ramadan, Ramadan is you're putting yourself in these tight shackles, right? We speak of Shaitan being locked up, but we're also locking ourselves up, right? Shaitan is locked up involuntarily. We're locked We're locking ourselves up voluntarily. And what's taking place, he's not allowed to indulge his appetites. Because what's taking place with the appetite, the appetite says, feed me. And then you feed it. And then it says, feed me again. And then you feed it, and the amount you fed yourself with before is not enough, so you need to feed yourself a little bit more. And you need to feed yourself a little bit more. But every time it's saying, feed me, it becomes a type of unhappiness. And so then eventually you cross beyond boundaries of what is halal into what is haram, because the halal is not satisfying you. And so your whole person starts turning upside down. And Ramadan, however, was you're keeping yourself under the super tight control, and that was literally when he was experiencing joy, so so the math from that perspective is uh, not to be too simplistic, but it is kind of simple.
1: Yeah, okay. uh, it's interesting. It reminded me. There's you probably heard of the I'm not sure the marshmallow study.
0: Mm, good. Uh, tell us tell, that's a really good example. Tell us. about Oh, that's
1: really interesting. And it, so they told these kids, "You can have this one marshmallow right now." Halal marshmallow. <laughs> and but if you wait and don't eat it now, when we return. And they didn't give them a specific time, you get two marshmallows. So, by holding back, or you know, you, and some of the kids struggled, like they'll smell it, they'll sniff it, they'll try to take a little piece out of it. And you can tell that, like, they're so distressed the kids waiting. Yeah, delayed gratification, exactly. I mean. and, and somehow the studies showed that following through long, longitudinally with these with kids who were able to practice delayed gratification or self discipline ended up being more successful and happy in yeah. general. And that's just kind of in the small sentence of panel, like, the whole concept of gender to simple, you know,
0: simple. Yeah. That's that's a, yeah, exactly it. You know, either you can have your paradise now or you can have it later. And the one later will be far more paradise like. Yeah. Any other questions? Uh, anything at all? Yeah. Um, I have a question. Go for it, Dominion. So, um, is there life?
1: In the universe, other than ours,
0: <laughs> got go. You gotta go. Listen to the recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: I'll wait. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll finish it.
0: That's your your second marshmallow. So.
1: Yeah. I want that marshmallow. In fact, I'll just try to go get the source. I would not wait in that
0: room. Yep. <laughs> Any other questions? All righty. So let me just make sure to, to save these whiteboards because I, I forgot that other day. Uh, okay, then we'll stop right here, inshallah. And we'll continue tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to get into metaphors of belief and rejection, inshallah, and try to decipher some, some metaphors, either that'll take place in the next class or the next two classes probably. Okay, Subhanaka Lahoma, Behamdik and Shaduela, Ilahaila Anta, Nastafuruka on a Tubuki Lake. Subhanaka Lahoma, Behamdik and Shaduela, Ilahaila Anta, Nastafuruka on a Tubuki Lake. Subhanaka Lahoma, Behamdik and Shaduela, Ilahaila Anta, Nastafuruka on a Tubuki Lake. Okay, now okay. I'll tell the word you all, inshallah, and we will continue tomorrow. Thank you so much, Shamikum.